This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Mike Francesa Podcast, brought to you, of course, uh, by the good folks at Bet Rivers and for all of your Wagering needs on this very busy weekend if you're into the conference tournaments and then getting ready for the big tournament, which will begin with the playing games on Tuesday and Wednesday. So it's right around the corner. Selection Sunday is upon us, which always makes me think that spring is not far away because, you know, a lot of people think of St. Patrick's Day. I think of first day of spring, which is also my birthday. But there, you know, to me, Selection Sunday is good enough. That's when I feel like the winter is over, you've made it through, and you know that uh, the warm weather and everything else that comes with it is right around the corner. Now, we will do a uh, podcast Sunday night for two things. One, to analyze quick analysis on the tournament once we get the brackets, and two, Knicks playing a big game in L.A., uh, so we will do that, too, uh, because the Knicks have become... I tell you, when I came out of the Garden last night, I went to the Big East. I went to the... Uh, took my boys to the uh, nighttime session because I couldn't take them to both because their mom wouldn't let them take off school. Um, so uh, we went to the nighttime session. DePaul played a wonderful game. I mean, they played their hearts out against Xavier. They sh- you know, they deserved to win. They played so well. Um, and they fell short at the end. And then Villanova, which I did not have high hopes for, um, continued to have all kinds of problems as they've had all year, and they're not going to the NCAA tournament in this year of transition uh, away from the great uh, Jay Wright. So um, it's been a tough year, uh, very tough year, and it was a tough night last night. They did make a little run in the second half after being down 20. They cut it to nine. The place was going wild, but they couldn't get any closer than that. Wound up losing by 13 uh, late last night. But it was what was interesting was how many people coming out of the garden last night were glued to the Nick Kings game as they were heading for the trains or heading for anywhere. Everyone was, like, dying with the Nick game. So it shows you the Knicks are the now, one of the now teams now. They're, they're, they're a trendy again for the first time in a long time. Everybody paying attention to him. And I heard people saying to me last night, you know, I have to come. To, you know, People would stop me in the garden and say hello and stuff like that. And then they were saying, I have to come to a Knicks game. I haven't come to a Knicks game in years. i got to come to a Knicks game. So the Knicks are, you know, they're hot right now. And they've earned their attention because they've played well. Uh, lost last night. Obviously, the West Coast is an easy. Uh, and we'll see if they can eke out a win or two uh, along the way. So we'll have that for you on Sunday night. All right. Uh, get to your emails. Send them to me always at uh, MikeFrancesaPodcast at gmail.com. So do that, and we will get to as many as we possibly can. I've, I've seen so many things that just didn't make any sense about Daniel Jones. Analyze this this way. Daniel Jones got an opportunity to make 
forty million a year. That's if he does everything, including a lot of incentives. That contract is only guaranteed for about eighty-three million dollars, which gives the Giants plenty of flexibility because the Giants have outs in that contract. So in case he's not the player they thought he was last year, they have outs in that contract. That contract is a very positive giant contract. Now, the guy who got hammered in this thing is Barkley because you don't want to get the tag at running back. He's not enough money. So I think they will try to negotiate with him once they've done everything else they want to do. They can do that right up until uh, July. And, you know, if he's on that tag, he's going to be very unhappy next year. So we'll see where that uh, takes us. But they have their quarterback. They got him at a price where they could deal with some flexibility. See, if you have a contract that's all in and even the $34 million, if they had franchised them, that would have been all in the next year. The Giants couldn't do that. That would not work for them. They would be able to sign very few players if that's the case. They needed some flexibility in the contract. They got it. So he got the makings of his contract. But let's be honest, he's got to do a lot to get that $160 million. He's got to perform well. The team's going to have to play well. There's a lot of things that have to happen for that to happen. It's not a bad contract. Uh, Whatever you may think, it is not a bad contract for the Giants. So this idea, oh, I can't believe Daniel Jones make $40 million. Well, we don't know he's going to make $40 million, number one. Number two, the going rate for a second contract quarterback who is above average is in the 30s. That's what quarterbacks get paid. And you watch. You watch on the second contract what Burroughs gets. You watch what... Uh, Josh Allen gets on his next contract. They're going to be up in the 50s and 60s, those two. I mean, Geno Smith got a three-year deal for $105 million, and he just had he had one year. He had a good year, but he had one year. And he's a journeyman. So the idea is always to try and win, like Cincinnati did. Try and win. They didn't win at all, but they got there. So try and win on that first contract because that's when, like Jacksonville has right now, I mean, they're paying paying Trevor Lawrence $9 million. Next deal, they're going to be paying him $50 million. That's the way it works. You know, in the Mahomes deal, everyone's like, oh, Mahomes will make $40 million. Mahomes' deal is locked in for $450 million. It's a whole different deal. And obviously, he's a player that is very much earn that. So, all right, let's get to some questions here. Micah Staten Island, St. John's loses an OT to Marquette. Yeah, they dragged Marquette into an ugly game that they could win. That's the only kind of game they could win against Marquette is a real ugly, messy, sloppy, bad game, which they got them to. And they got the ball in the air in overtime, down two. They said the wrong guy shoots a shot. And they don't make enough shots. That's what it comes down to. But they played their hard. They played hard. They played their heart out in that game. Uh, give them credit. So did the Paul in that loss. Uh, but the question is, the team doesn't know how to win games, and it comes down to coaching and poor recruiting. Hey, listen, all I heard last night is everybody wants Patino. I mean, all the fans want Patino now. That's all of a sudden. They all want Patino. Um, I think Patino's going to get one more swing at the big time. But everything I hear is that it could be a Georgetown. That's what I keep hearing. That's the, that's, the, that's the school I've been hearing for two weeks. 
Uh, Richard and Ken, uh, no, uh, Richard wanted to know about switch hitters, but really his premise wasn't right on the money. So let's just move on from that one. Um, Billy and Oceanside, proud Syracuse alum here. Okay, with Beheim stepping down and stepped down, he got fired. He wasn't happy about it either. Um, after forty-seven years, I mean, he just was never going to go gracefully. That's all there was to it. They had to finally, they wanted to move on, which they have a right to do. They wanted to move on, and they gave him graceful exits. He didn't want graceful exit. That's all there was to it. And he didn't take a graceful exit. He basically said he got bounced if you listen to him. Uh, after his 47 year, can you discuss his legacy, his standing among coaches, and the future of the Syracuse program? Well, I think the one problem for the Syracuse program is it no longer feels like a Syracuse program because they're playing in the ACC. I never liked them in the ACC. It never made any sense. They went there for football. Listen, the schools always do. When they're a football, basketball school, they always do what their football program needs to do. And they went there for football. They would have been much better off in the Big East. They would have, from a space basketball standpoint, they would have been able to use the Northeast to recruit. They would have been able to use the Garden to recruit, all the rivalries to recruit. They don't have any of that anymore. Syracuse doesn't have rivalries with the ACC teams. They have rivalries with St. John's, with Georgetown. With Villanova, that's, those are their rivalries. With UConn, I mean, that's, that's the problem. Uh, so I think it does hurt them in the future. Number two, how do you judge Beheim? You know, it's funny. First of all, I know Beheim very well. He's not a bad guy. He's cranky on the outside, but if you really get to know him, he's a pretty good guy. He really is. Um, he's had a brilliant career. When you look at it in terms of longevity and success, there'll be very few careers that can even come close. Early on in the 70s and 80s, the book on Beheim from most people who covered the sport was that he was a terrible coach, which wasn't true. But that didn't change until they, it really changed with the John Wallace team. That really changed everything. They used to think that he just had big time players and he rolled out the balls. He didn't do that. And then he became the guy who recruited to this 2-3 zone that really worked wonders for them, and they've had a lot of success and upset success with that. Hey, he had a great run. Listen, if they make a free throw, he beats Indiana in 87, and he's got two championships. Then you're looking at him as, uh, you know, oh, look, Bayheim went to five Final Fours, he won two championships. Hey, that's an all-time career. He went to five Final Fours and won one championship. He played a Kentucky team. He got to the, the, the finals with that Syracuse team to play Kentucky. Kentucky had seven number one draft picks. How's he supposed to beat that team? But he had, a, he had a wonderful career. And like I said, in terms of longevity and success, very few careers will ever have a chance to equal what he did. Doug says, uh, what's your opinion on the criticism that Jones gets from the majority of the media? I get the feeling that most of them have their heels dug in on him and won't budge. I don't know if that's true. Um, listen, quarterback with the Giants is going to be based on winning, nothing else. It's going to be based on winning titles. They're spoiled. The Giant fans, you know, for – for all the criticism that Eli Manning got, 
Eli Manning won two Super Bowls. And he beat the New England Patriots twice. And he defeated an undefeated team in one of the great upsets in sports history. And he played brilliantly in the fourth quarter of both those games. And he never was hurt, and he played his heart out. Hey, did they make the playoffs enough every year? No. But somebody's always complaining about something. But you know what? If a quarterback starts for you and wins two Super Bowls and two Super Bowl MVPs in his career, he had a great career. Want me to list the guys who haven't done that? Almost all of them. Because only five quarterbacks have done that. Won multiple Super Bowls and multiple MVPs. Five. And one is Eli Manning. So when you're Daniel Jones, it's about winning. When he wins, he'll get the credit. If he doesn't, there'll always be complaints. That's all. Daniel Jones showed you last year. The one thing I worry about is Daniel Jones's best quality is his legs. And that's something that scares me as guys get on later in their career. And his best quality, same thing with Jackson, his best quality is his legs. And I worry about quarterbacks as they get older when their best quality is their legs. Ike in Brooklyn. Uh, How could it be that a star like Sequan Barkley is going to make less per year than a mid-range starter in MLB? Um, it's a waste of time to analyze one sport and anybody's salary against another sport. Running back is not a position where players are going, unless they're dynamic, dynamic, record-breaking running backs, they're not going to make incredible money. And you can't use the NBA, you can't use Major League Baseball as an equation to say, oh, look, you know, because I'll give you guys in the NBA who you don't even think are good who are making a ton of money. So the bottom line is it doesn't work that way. But running back does get hit hard in the salary department. There's no question. Tommy uh, asks, this will be Jim Nance's final March Madness. That is true. Jim is stepping down. I did the first one with him. I did the first bunch with him. Uh, He started as the host of the pre and post and everything and the studio show with me. Um, Then he went and became the play-by-play guy. This is, I believe... I believe his 34th Final Four. He's obviously had a prolific career in Brooke, has no question. And you and he are very close, very close. We're like brothers. I have no problem saying that. We are very, very, we're like family. Uh, are there any memories that you can share of your time working the tournament with him? Yeah, I mean, my days with him in the beginning, it was a very different tournament then, and he and I used to really look forward to it. We would do the studio, and we would love to get into, we'd stay in the city, we'd walk to the broadcast center up on 57th, and we'd get there 
like 11.30. The games are going to start at 12, and we have a viewing room we used to call MP2. And we would watch all the games. And we didn't go on the air, remember, on Thursday and Friday at CBS until 11.30. We had one live game on Thursday night and Friday night. Then we had all the games Saturday and all the games Sunday. We did eight, we did, you know, 10 straight hours of coverage and we were in the chair the whole time on Saturday and Sunday. But Friday and Saturday, I mean, Thursday and Friday, we didn't work. We just did the one game live at 11.30. The other games were all on ESPN. And we would go in though, he and I, you know, they'd order up all, because people would come and view during the day, they'd order up all this food and there'd be anything you wanted there. And we'd sit there and, you know, Dan rather would come in. Some guy doing the soap operas would come in. Some actors would come. I could tell you famous people who'd come in to watch the games with us. I mean, we had so many different people come in through the years. I could tell you from watching games with some of the oddest people you could ever believe. Okay. Uh, and some real characters too. And rather used to come watch with us all the time. Uh, Wilfred Brimley came in and watched the games with us one day. I don't know why he was in. We wanted to see Utah. He was uh, he was in to watch games. Um, the, the soap operas were going on around us while they were you know during the day, and you'd hear the calls come on while they were running down the hall and stuff like that. Um, because the soap operas were live in those days, and uh, you know we would watch the games, and then we'd go on at eleven thirty. Those were the early years. Then he became the play-by-play guy. I stayed in the studio. He went out and became play-by-play, did all those years with Billy Packer, who just passed away, God rest his soul, this year. This is the first tournament that Billy won't be alive. So this is Jim's last tournament. As a matter of fact, you know, uh, there's a lot going on for him. I know a lot of the newspapers around the country are all writing features about him because this is his last tournament. Uh, He'll still do football and still do golf. He just wanted to cut back on this. Um, After all these years, and, you know, they'll honor him in Houston, which is his hometown, uh, for the Final Four. They'll have some kind of thing for him there. Uh, so, uh, and he deserves it. But we have plenty of memories, plenty of memories of being, you know, on the road those years, seeing great game after great game. Uh, we, really, we, we, we always looked forward to the tournament. Uh, we really did. We had a, we had a lot of fun with, during it in those years. And it was a very different, like I said, very different thing. If you got to like 7.30 at night, the room would be packed. Now, Jim and I would be in there by ourselves for like five and six hours during the day, and then the room would be packed around 7 or 8 o'clock. And, you know, they'd invite people in to watch it, you know, sportscasters and all different people because that's the only place you could watch all the games was if you were at CBS, uh, unless you were up at ESPN. And, you know, so there were a lot of people there, and it was, it was a lot of fun. It really was. And, you know, we used to we used to have a lot. Of, really, there's a lot of crazy stuff. But, uh, you know, I don't tell tales out of school, but there was some funny stuff that went on. Um, here's Mike emails. If Daniel Jones was able to get a $40 million deal, then shouldn't Lamar Jackson get a minimum of $50 million deal? Okay. I'm okay with that. That's fine. It's how you structure the deal that is the important thing. You need to structure it over a minimum of a four-year term so that you can use it and 
make sure that you average the money out and especially the signing bonus over the four years. It's imperative because if you start paying those kind of contracts in full, you're dead. So there has to be imagination in all these contracts and you have to give some, have some give. So if you go in a contract and you want a hundred and you want a $200 million contract and you want it all guaranteed, Hey, that contract's going to be a pain in the neck. Okay. That's going to be a very tough lift. So when you have a contract like Dan Jones, 160 million of which 83 million was guaranteed, 83 million, half the contract. That made it something that was much more user-friendly for the Giants. That's the key to it. Don't look at it just the dollar. Look at it how it is structured. It's imperative when you're dealing with the salary cap. Chris says, it's unbelievable uh, that Yankee pitchers keep getting hurt. How does this always happen? Listen, they bring pitchers in. A lot of times, they don't seem to stand up. That's just the luck of the draw, I guess. I mean, you want to say that they haven't done their homework, their due diligence? I don't think Radon is badly hurt. He misses a little time. You're careful with him. The Yankees are going to win plenty of games. The question is, are they going to get a big performance out of him when it counts? Are they going to get a big performance in the postseason? Will they elevate their game in the postseason? That's what it's about. There's no question They have the depth, they have the talent, they have the resources to win 95 games and go to the playoffs. That's not an issue. They do that every year. It's about what happens after that. Greg and Madawan, I once heard Jim Calhoun say that P.J. Colosimo's job at Seton Hall was the best coaching job in Big East basketball history. Do you agree? Uh, I don't. I think that was a wonderful team that's a team that's I have a relationship with because of the whole I miss Porsche thing that became a huge deal. And that was the team where they came within a bad official's call of winning the championship. Um, it was a wonderful team, really a wonderful team and a team that I liked a lot that season and thought they could win the whole thing, said it. And obviously it, was very good for my career that at the time. It got an incredible amount of attention. You know, Newsweek time, magazine, or everywhere. Uh, and a lot of that was I miss and a lot of it was just the whole thing. It was just crazy. It really was. I mean, crazy. Wherever I went that year, it was like that. As far as the... It's funny, Calhoun said that about PJ. To me, the greatest building of a program done... Since World War II, I have two that I think stand out above all else. In football, it's Bill Snyder at Kansas State. There are no players in that state. And he built a tremendous program. Bringing in JUCOs from California and people from everywhere. Hey, wonderful job. I think the best rebuilding job of a program on a downtrodden program in all those years in college football, as far as college basketball, I think the greatest job ever done was done by Jim Calhoun. What he built UConn into was a complete dynasty from nothing, from a mom and pop shop. He built it into a dynasty. The best building job I've ever witnessed in college basketball by far was Calhoun. Gary in West Hampton, if the Jets acquired Aaron Rodgers, what would you consider a success? Okay. 
first of all, they have to get three years out of Aaron Rodgers. If they don't, this whole experience in terms of what they're going to have to do financially, what they're going to have to do in terms of payment form. And I, I think Green Bay is not going to be cheap. I know a lot of people think cheap, Green Bay is going to cave and give them away. I, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen. Not for Rogers. So I think the payment's going to be pretty high. And if that's the case, you got to get multiple years out of them. I'd say three years. And I think you have to be serious contenders for two of them. And that means have a legitimate chance to, to win the whole thing. And I think they do. I think if you put Aaron Rodgers on that team and they get healthy at running back and they put another guy at wide receiver behind Wilson and they buff up the offensive line, I think they have a chance for their defense to be a serious, serious contender. And I am 100% for Rodgers. I think the Jets get Rodgers. And I know Woody Stevens loves big quarterbacks. He wanted Favre. He wants Rodgers. I know. I don't even listen. I, Woody Stevens and I have never had a Woody Johnson. And I have never had a relationship. But I know Woody Johnson wants quarterbacks. He wants star quarterbacks. I know how he feels about quarterbacks. And the bottom line is, he wanted Favre and he wants Rodgers in the worst way. And I think there's a very good chance they get him. But I think if they get him, I think the Jets are going to be the biggest story in football. I think it is a perfect match right now. And I'm all for him wearing 12 because I think you can almost draw a synergy from Joe, the great star, taking the Jets all the way, Super Bowl three, And now this great star wearing the same number 50 years later comes and tries to lead them to the promise that, you know what, I like it. I like it a lot, and I think it's. I think he will be a big, big star. Uh, meaning that he's already a big star, but I mean, I think he's going to get an incredible amount of attention. I think the Jets are going to be a team that everyone sees everywhere and talks about everywhere, and their games are going to be talked about, and they're going to be featured, and they're going to be in prime time, and everything is going to be Jets, Jets, Jets. If they get Rogers, I think it is right player, right time, right team. I think it's the move. I'll be very disappointed if they don't get it because this is a chance to really have something that is going to be extremely exciting. Listen, no matter what you think of Rogers and how strange he is and the weird things he does and his very self-centered approach to things and everything else. The bottom line is he's one of the most gifted quarterbacks who has ever played the game. That's not debatable. Physically, he is, in my mind, the best player. If you check every box, he is physically the best player, I think, in the history of the sport at the position. Doesn't, I didn't say he's the winningest. He hasn't been great in the postseason. He hasn't been a great leader. They haven't won enough. Okay, but I think he is the most gifted player. If you count everything at the position I've ever seen. 
And that's an incredible compliment. And he is a weirdo. I mean, let's be honest. He's, you know, he's out there. But you can live with that. But the amount of talent he has, there's no debating how good he is. And he hasn't lost his fastball. If you watch their games last year, okay, and I watch everybody, and you see plenty of Packers, okay, I see plenty of Packers, everybody does. Anyone who's a serious football watcher sees plenty of Packers. And he put the ball on the dime. Now, I saw him do some things in the red zone last year out of frustration I've never seen him do before. And he was very down on the team, and it showed. But there were so many times where he threw the ball on a dime and it was dropped or the guy ran the wrong route, or the guy didn't fight the defender for the ball, or this and that and this and that. And, hey, it all adds up. Rodgers and the Jets is a perfect marriage right now. Love it. hope it happens. In the worst way, I hope it happens. We will see you Sunday night. Remember, Selection Sunday, some Knicks, whatever else is going on. Have a good week. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan. And you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts.